When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you fastened your own belt and walked where you would. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will fasten your belt for you and carry you where you do not wish to go. This he said to show by what death he was to glorify God. And after this, he said to him, follow me. Thank you, Father. Great passage. Good choice. Yeah. What strikes you in this passage or maybe uh, what was the reason that you wanted to uh, to talk about this one or pray with this one? I think in so many ways, Kevin, it's the antidote to so much of like the millennial angst mm. that we experience both in and outside the church for any different number of reasons. I mean, you just look at that stunning acclamation by Peter, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. It's not this affirmation of relativism. It's not saying, you know, I can get away with this, Lord, because you know me. So let me do what I want. But it's actually, you know me, Lord, and I know you, and you know that I love you. So it doesn't serve as excuse. It doesn't serve as a permission for an identity that is anything other but the Lord's. But it's rather that stunning confession of Peter, of his love, even amidst his obvious sinfulness, but even more so his his return. So it's an antidote, but it also shows the way. Just that line, another will fasten your belt for you and carry you where you do not wish to go. It's like that antidote to chasing happiness that yeah. just will always be yep. outside of our reach, no matter if we're priests or just fallen after the Lord or not even knowing what we're doing. But that by our vocations, by that call that the Lord's placing on our heart, it's actually to go where we don't want to go. And so it's just like that just turns happiness on its head. And it's precisely that in which we're called to glorify the Lord and follow him. Yeah, lots to, uh, lots to unpack, I think, in what you said and just the, the passage in general. So maybe starting with one of the things you brought up uh, initially of just kind of uh, Peter's response to the Lord, right? And either you or Matthew would probably know this portion or maybe explanation much better than I would. But I think, I don't know if it's in the, the Hebrew translation, but basically when Peter is responding, He's essentially saying, yes, Lord, uh, you know that I that I like you. I like you um, instead of the um, fullness of like, I love you. Yeah, I'll defer to the seminary <laughs> on that. Just the, the poor the parish priest. priest. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, when, he, when uh, Christ asks him, he says, Simon Peter, do you love me? And the word that he uses there is agapas. He says, Simon, Eonen, uh, agapas me. And when Simon Peter responds, his response is not with um, agape, Mm. um, but with phileos, that he loves him in a brotherly way as opposed to agape, um, which normally would mean um, what we would call charity, like living with the life of God, living with God's own life. Um, And so the first two times that Christ asks him, like, Peter, do you love me? He asks me, do you love me perfectly, like with charity? Um, And both times... Simon responds, um, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. But he says, you know, I, I love you in a brotherly way, according to friendship. And 
at the last time that Jesus then asks him, he then asks him, you know, Simon Peter, do you love me? And he says that, you know, in that filial way, in mm-hmm. that brotherly way. And it, that's when Peter starts to become upset with Lord because he's like, well, I've said that, like, I, I don't love you perfectly, but I do at least love you as a friend. I love you in a fair weather way. Is this something you see is more Peter just being imperfect and recognizing that, right? And being able to say that, um, I know what you're asking, Lord, but it's just not something that I can come to and meet you all the way. Um, or is it just a reticence that maybe we, I, I can speak for myself, right? That there's kind of that reticence of sometimes uh, allowing our imperfect selves to be seen completely or truly by the Lord. Sure. Well, um, I think just to go back to your first question, Kevin, of why did I choose this? Uh, because I think that informs that. I spent a lot of time with Father John Lococo this past weekend. I'm so sorry to hear that. Uh, trust me. <laughs> Purgatory begins on earth. So. <laughs> but John 21, 17 is on his ordination card. Mm. So just uh, just love going to that uh, verse. I know it's particularly just powerful for him. Even if it's Peter's reticence, I think all the more so it's the Lord's trust in Peter. Because even if he's not responding in the same way, it's the Lord's trust in the one whom he's called, but also because he knows where he's going. And so I think that admission, that confession of Peter can't be seen without also taking in that promise of of the Lord of how his life is going to end ultimately upon the cross. I mean, this passage comes true, right? right? So even in Peter's hesitation, it's like, well, he's very much on the way, not to nowhere, not just to be on the way, but to actually glorify God. And Jesus knows that and trusts in that and can receive Peter in that, mm. who's made himself vulnerable. I mean, so like in so many ways, right? This is the sacrament of confession too. Just like, Lord, you know everything because I've told you this, I've done everything. And the Lord still is sending him out right. on mission and right. to build the church. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a uh, recurring theme, right? Through pretty much any stage or any of the four, um, four gospels that you see, right? Of uh, the Lord calling... Peter to be the rock, right, that he's building the church on, right? Whether um, I think there's a, a reference to him speaking from Peter's boat as um, kind of his own step above the apostles, not as being better, but obviously it's just being the uh, what we eventually see as the, the first pope. So there's something obviously in that, that Peter, even in his denial three times, I would assume that there's probably some sort of parallel or parallelism here in terms of uh, Christ still asking him three times, even in this imperfect way for him to follow him, um, even after he's denied him and even after he still isn't able to fully give himself. Uh, and this, like you you brought up agape love, right? So it's just, it's a, kind of an interesting kind of mirror image. During uh, one of my years in seminary, we had the privilege to go on pilgrimage to the Holy Land for mm-hmm. two weeks, which was an amazing gift. For a week of it, we lived just on the edge of Galilee, and the other week we spent in Jerusalem. But there's actually a church that marks this, Peter's primacy, the, the confession of faith. And I just hope the FBI isn't listening because I didn't <laughs> declare it at customs. <laughs> but I did take a few rocks from the beach there, these like uh, significant- You sicko. I know, and brought it back into the country, but I keep one of the rocks from that place of Peter's primacy, the confession of faith and the yeah. Lord's trust in him. Keep it on my desk in my room next uh, next to the crucifix, yeah. just as a reminder of those things that you were just just yeah. saying of yeah. like that that parallel to be that to be that rock. But it's also like that's that's a humbling place to be mm. of like having to continue to admit to the Lord that maybe maybe I'm not where I need to be or where you're desiring to me desiring me to be right now. But you know you'll give me give me the strength. 
So in that, uh, I guess, same vein, right, of just uh, confession, not too specific, obviously, and uh, at risk of breaking the, the seal of confession, but in general, uh, maybe for people who were to read this passage and whether they're involved in their faith or, or not, but maybe they haven't gone to confession, maybe they're fearful of, of going to confession. What's something from this passage that you would say for those people um, is something that they can kind of relate to and maybe even encourage them? in a way to, to go back. I, th- I think there's that great sense of encouragement here. I think as a confessor, uh, so priest father said to me that he just always tries to be really encouraging in mm-hmm. that moment because it's the, the father who receives. Nothing about sin is interesting. I mean, confession in and of itself or what's being confessed rather is not interesting because there's no order to sin. Mm-hmm. So there's can't be interesting, just chaos. So you don't remember any of my confessions too? Moving on. (laughs) (laughs) I only killed that one person, I swear, Father. Well, since you brought it up. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair game. Exactly. Just just wait long enough. (laughs) Um, No, I think it's it's just this priest recommended to be encouraging, to be be the Father who who receives, but then the Father who encourages, who he maybe even asks a few questions. But... You know, maybe in similar ways, every apostle, you think we can prayerfully imagine, probably yeah. had that moment with the Lord, knowing that each of them goes on to glorify him by their death. And John, by that time in exile on, on Patmos, but I, I find in here, even like as a priest who has to go to confession, mm-hmm. right? Like that sense of encouragement, because I think it'd be tempting just to stop if we just kind of narrow in on just those words of Peter, Lord, you know everything, you know that I love you. Like if we just were just to take that, it could be some sort of justification for say, well, the Lord knows, the Lord mm-hmm. knows, and he forgives me and he understands to somehow relativize away what, I, what I've what i done, even if it seems insignificant. But the relationship demands the return right. of Peter's relationship to Jesus. So it's not just, well, the Lord understands. He knows I'm not there yet, and that's okay, yep. and I'm okay, so we're all okay. Mm. But but rather it's because of the, re- the relationship and the demands of the history that he's had, that he has to return. But it's the Lord who receives him and sends him back out. Yeah. So I think yeah. like for someone who's been away from the sacrament, or even for those of us who go with some regularity, like just this is always a, a return to that, to not just encouragement, but also to the heart of, of that moment. Yeah, I don't know. Um, you guys are much holier than, than I am for sure. A seminary and your and wife and a priest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I remember um, for myself, I don't, I think it was about five years since I had gone to confession, like a, a five year span, which is, you know, not something that I'm, I'm certainly proud of, especially, you know, at this state in life. But I can't tell you just like how incredible it was after that first confession, after five years. Because um, I remember sitting down and, you know, going through everything and, you know, five years worth of sins from what you can, you can remember, right? And, at the end of it, uh, the priest was like, okay, yeah. How do you, like, how do you feel? I was like, great question. Like, I feel amazing. Right. Cause in a lot of the cases you get that kind of spiritual feedback. Um, but there was just that question, like that honest question, like, how do you feel from this? You know, like how does, how does coming and like putting everything just that you've done in the past, you know, five plus years, right. Mm -hmm. Completely into somebody's lap that you've never met before, but is serving the person of Christ. Right. Um, and I remember like feeling amazing and then standing up from that. And then I saw one of my friends and gave my friend like a huge hug. And it was just that like, that was super, it felt like kind of like life teen, like life church or something like that, where everybody's like, Oh my gosh, I love you. Um, but it was just like, 
a feeling of rejoice, right? It wasn't it, like I obviously like still had to go and uh, do the penance and you still feel a, a sense of contrition for, for sure. But yeah, it was such a feeling of just like relief and rejoice to be able to like have that burden lifted off of you. Right. I also love that this passage always just reminds me, um, you know, it's it's apocryphal and uh, more in the tradition, but mm. um, just even after this confession, like St. Peter still struggled the rest of his life to follow after Christ. And, yep. um, you know, there's the story that, you know, during the persecutions in Rome, like Peter was fleeing the city because they were going to, they were looking for him to execute him. You know, on his way out of the city, he came across Christ who, you know, at this point had already risen, but Christ appeared to him carrying his cross um, with his crown of thorns on his head again. And Peter was quite alarmed, obviously, at that. And he said, you know, Lord, where do you go? Quo vadis in, in Latin, he asked him. And then um, Christ responds to him, I go to Rome to be crucified again, kind of implying that, like, even if Peter would, you know, who is the first pope and the, the bishop of Rome, like, even as a bishop, like abandoning his flock to persecution and fleeing, you know, pursuing Christ with everything that he had, like Christ was still going to be there, you know, with his people. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, in that moment, like Peter realized like what, that he was actually going to be able to properly respond, like, Lord, you know that I love you and to be able to love him with that agape. Um, and, you know, he turned around and went back to Rome and he was crucified there. And, mm. Mm -hmm. um, you know, where he was crucified upside down because at that moment, like in his repentance, he did not think he was worthy to be crucified in the same way as our sure. Lord. So sure. I just love that, that like confession um, and repentance, that that works throughout our entire lives, that, you know, even the first Pope <laughs> yeah. is a good example of that, of yeah, like constantly yeah, yeah. being in that state of repentance, that no matter how many times that I screw up, like, like you said, like not going to confession for five years and having all of those sins, like you're still going to have that moment where Christ is calling you back. And yeah. On that same note too, Matthew, I appreciate the fact that you just hit on the note of his entire life. Because mm -hmm. in, in the Basilica of St. Peter's in Rome, I mean, it's Guido Reni's original painting of the crucifixion of St. Peter, mm -hmm. but not far from where the actual martyrdom would have taken place. Mm -hmm. The side altar now adorns uh, one of the transepts of the, of the Basilica what's kept in the basilica is the mosaic rendering of the painting which hangs in the vatican museums but it depicts that scene of mm. peter crucified upside down but it depicts him as an old man mm. Mm. which i think you know if you talk about like this being a passage of encouragement or that invitation yeah. to return because yeah. it points us to the future and to imagine like our lives as please god like older people as ones who have run the race but peter's crucified not as a young man but as an old man, in fact, in the image, it's maybe two or three like young men, mm. like holding him to the cross because mm. he's crucified upside down, yeah. but he's got the gray hair, a gray beard. Yeah. And then, so what, what the Lord's setting Peter up for is to run for the lifetime, not just to run for a few moments. Yeah. I think so many of us might be tempted to start off with zeal or even like if you break it down to the day, like when we wake up to start the day with zeal, to mm -hmm. live for the Lord. Yeah. But then as evening draws near, perhaps the will grows weak. Mm. But, but in this passage, it's just like, no, it's going to take a lifetime to figure this out. Yeah. But it's going to be that lifetime, which is the adventure of fidelity. <laughs> yeah, I was just, sorry, I was just thinking, like, it's it's such a, a salient point, especially in our day and age. I was just thinking, you know, um, 
a couple months ago, I went to confession. And again, like it's it's a beautiful thing, right? It's such a beautiful sacrament, especially when you're about to like you go from confession and you receive mass not long after it. I came out of confession. I was like, that feels great. Like I feel at least for the moment after I do my penance, like cleansed of this. And then of course, like I'm walking down the aisle, go back to my pew. I'm like, gosh, this old person is so slow. <laughs> Move out of the way, you know? Um, but like there's the immediate falling right back into right. what we what we right. see as a pattern. Yeah, but I think to your point, right, it's it's not just Peter too, in that sense, but just the church as a whole. And one of the things I think is really beautiful about Christianity and, you know, Catholicism is we don't try and wash that part of history away or try and change who some of these people were. Uh, whether you look at Peter, you look at Augustine, you look at uh, Ignatius of Loyola, right? Any of these people who became saints. Yeah, there's a beauty in basically adhering to the fact that these people uh, were very much just like normal people that we sometimes... It, too far right on one side, almost idolize, right? And think like, oh, they were incredible people and in their own way, they certainly were. But you look at even like the early uh, church fathers, Tertullian was already saying, right, of the primacy of Peter and kind of validating that. And he would have been closer to Peter's age than any of us, right? Or anybody that followed and been able to have looked at that and said, yeah, no, we should we should kick this guy kind of under the rug, right? Sort of thing. Um, but I think it's really beautiful to be able to see that, uh, to you guys' point, kind of bringing that back together is, yeah, like the Lord picked Peter for a reason and as an example for all of us as Christians, right? The way, as, as they called themselves, uh, to come back to the Lord and just as like a, a prime example to um, to pray to him and see him as that example for us. It also spoke, I mean, speaks to the demand of the journey, mm. right, and the demand of the call. Uh, because if we had our own way, just like that fastening of our own belts, like I don't think we'd get very far. Mm. Like maybe it wouldn't be, you know, yeah. ever logging off of Netflix or turning off YouTube or like just, yeah, just continuing to seek our own adventures or, you know, like of even maybe like of an epic proportion yeah. of like outdoors and everything else, but like doing what we always want to do. Like it's not good, yeah. and often it seems like the invitation of the Lord has a way of breaking that, mm -hmm. of breaking that hold that we have if, if we're really going to follow Him and doing what we want to do, yeah. because where He needs us is probably where we aren't right now, mm -hmm. but, but where He's calling us to be. Like like as a priest, that happens every day. Like yep. if if I'm like cognizant to that and aware of what the Lord's doing and have surrendered the day to Him and not just to my own design of uh, yeah being taken where I don't want to go. Yeah. So I guess from uh, the priestly context, because I think sometimes we think of, and you know, priests do many great things, obviously, right? But, uh, well, with the exception well, of some priests, we know, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but we kind of get into that idea of like, okay, you know, priests are busy, uh, you know, doing uh, last rites or confessions or mass, which is obviously you guys are doing. But uh, what are some of those more like kind of like mundane tasks, right? That even like as a priest, you feel like you have to be able to break out of that or kind of break out of a mindset of, Eh, it's just the same old or eh. like like you said like netflix or youtube like is something that lay people think of but like what would be an example as, as a priest oh gosh emails yeah text <laughs> messages netflix youtube netflix <laughs> youtube i mean choose Obviously, your poison your exploding twitter account mm. uh, <laughs> exactly <laughs> he's gonna be huge <laughs> yeah a lot a lot of aliases on the twitter yeah. matthew um i mean basically like just the normal stuff of everyday human life that we have to do to make it through another day. Yeah. Um, it's not always easy, but somehow I think so much of priesthood belongs to the hidden life. Mm -hmm. I think it's like, just like marriage. Like so many of those moments just belong to the hidden life of like these small things that might grow old yeah. pretty quickly. Um, you know, it might be easy to let an email go for a couple of days or a voicemail or even that temptation when a request for an anointing comes in to say, Oh, but because I'm behind, 
right? Just had this hour blocked off to finally catch up and just maybe hope another priest might respond yeah. or something. Yeah. It's just like, well, so much of that, those hidden sacrifices that the Lord's inviting us to, no matter our vocation, it's just like, yeah, they might be mundane, but they still deserve to be done well yeah. because of our love for God. And so even like cleaning, cleaning your room as a priest, like has to be done. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like having this, you know, the 15th conversation about the change in weather or like hearing the person now that the Packers are on again, say, mm-hmm. Oh father, you know, you dressed up for the Packers today. It's just like, <laughs> you're the hundredth person to tell me that this morning, you know, and, and, and still smile and, and receive it. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Like, cause we don't, that there is plenty in the gospel, obviously of uh, Jesus traveling from place to place, but obviously they're not like following along and like, Jesus walked half a mile today. He stopped and got lunch and like those like little things, but those are all things that happened, even if they're not written down. Right. Right. And Christ still performed all of those actions right to that same point. Maybe Matthew knows the reference to the, to the father of the church. Um, But one of them talks about how Christ sanctifies every age Mm. by the life in which he lived in. So, I mean, obviously Christ was a child, right? Born of the Virgin Mary, but, but by his growing up, by his being obedience, uh, being obedient within the Holy Family by setting off on mission uh, as a young man, um, even in his final suffering, he he both sanctifies and totally turns on its head every age. So what mm-hmm. what was sinful for the first Adam is now reclaimed and redeemed and made new in Christ. Not just like in the total way, or not just in like the ultimate sense, but in the particular too, sure. just by his humanity and the way in which his divinity relates to that. Mm-hmm. I just mm-hmm. think it's like a beautiful thing to remember. No, you guys' thoughts, uh, something that, you know, the, the first verse you read, Father, was uh, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, right? So they're still referring to the fact that they shared a meal. Um, so you guys' thoughts to just the importance of that, you know, breaking of bread together, especially in this context. I think uh, so we could point to community pretty quickly mm-hmm. knowing how key that is to the success of um, any Catholic place, any Catholic parish, any Catholic group, but a community that's creative, right? That that shares a meal together, that belongs to one another. But I think what's awesome about the detail about breakfast is Peter's a fisherman, right? The, mm-hmm. the apostles actually had to work and do manual labor. Like if they were going to be successful, of course, like the, that work changes when the Lord calls them and they, they begin to follow him to Jerusalem. But they had breakfast. And so you have to think that right, Peter would have something to eat before if they're fishing all night, you're going out again in the morning or coming back, dragging their nets. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that it's breakfast means it's the beginning of the day. It means that they're either coming in from a long night of work or that they're setting off again on another day that's going to demand a pound of their own flesh. Mm. And just like, this isn't evening. This isn't like... And when they had finished uh, you know, a little thing of whiskey at the end of the day, it's like, no, it's breakfast because <laughs> there is work to do. And, and like, we're setting off, mm-hmm. right? which I think that's what I love. So, I mean, but somehow about like, so draw that then into the communion part and in yeah. community, it's like, there is work to be done as a community. So we're not just in this for our own mm-hmm. self-interest or self-seeking, but, but Peter's confession is made within the company of his brothers. Yes. yes and it's like, that's yeah. what the community is invited to do time and time again. Yep. To set off on this work together, ultimately for our own salvation, the salvation of souls, but for the glory of God. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, um, like you were saying, like that Christ renews every age. Um, like you said, that, that this is like difficult labor that they're going into. And the fact that Christ is there 
for breakfast while they're gearing up to get ready for work while they're there as their community, you know, um, doing like an arduous task and like Christ is still there in that process of like being sustained to go in, Mm -hmm. you know, to the labor to continue, you know, um, living with fortitude. Yeah. I think there's kind of a beautiful image there too. And just in terms of uh, what we see is the last supper, right. is kind of ending the day, um, but also ending a, a certain part of Jesus's ministry and right. in his just journey here uh, on earth, obviously, um, just in terms of his earthly life uh, before the resurrection. But then there's something beautiful too about his idea of, like you said, Father, as just starting something new after that resurrection, right? That the work here isn't done. Uh, that one thing did end, which was his own ministry on earth. Obviously, uh, he's here uh, until he goes up in the ascension. Um, but then basically the work is on us through the gifts of the Holy Spirit, right? He obviously bestows that upon us. But we are starting a new day. And I think to your point, Matthew, in both cases, he he is a sustenance, right, for our soul right. uh, in the spiritual sense. But in both cases, he's still providing food. Like he himself is there uh, preparing this meal and doing these things for the apostles. Yeah. And it's not something that he's just sitting back um, or just allowing them to do on their own, uh, but that he's still present in all these different ways, right? At both, you know, at the end of the day and at the start, whether it's in suffering uh, or in joy to come, it's just like a really beautiful image of kind of two ends and, and going back out. 